It's Peter Jackson. <laughs> We've entered the realm of Peter Jackson and his New Zealand films. Yes, we have. <laughs> I love New Zealand. It's probably one of the best countries on earth. Listen, all I'm saying is that maybe, I'm not committing to it, but maybe Lord of the Rings on the Patreon this year. I mean, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. This is a great introduction. <laughs> Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh. <laughs> Not to mention the amount of Lord of the Rings people who are in this movie. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we finally decided what to do about Mother. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 1994 film Heavenly Creatures. <laughs> oh no. It's Peter Jackson. It's Peter Jackson. It's New Zealand in its finest. <laughs> We're a British gal as well. <laughs> no, seriously, we have to try not to laugh through this. Yeah, no, guys, it's a crimey one. Yeah, it's a, it's a true crime. It, it is a true crime. It is a true crime with a lot of dream sequence. Absolutely. I, which is honestly my favorite, if I'm being honest. Oh, stop. <laughs> Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at KickingAndStreamingPodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. Happy International Women's Month, everybody. Yeah, I, I listen. <laughs> this month, we are examining stories of strong female bonds. Yeah, oh boy, are we ever. Yeah, this uh, one's strong today. Yeah, no, we thought we would get the terrifying one out of the way. Yeah, no, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty off the rails, guys. If it's all the same to y'all, I thought we would get the upsetting one out of the way. And, and you know what? I am not, I am not a girl. I am not, I was never a young girl. I was never a young lady. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be relying a lot on your perspective this month, but... Oh, and boy, will I have perspective. <laughs> did you have a, did you have a friend like this? Um... That you were willing to kill for at this uh, age? No, 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 no. <laughs> not to this point, but... Oh. Like, the deep, like, the deep fantasy aspect of it, I can relate to that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, oh my god. They were two young girls living in a world of imagination. I'm going to the fourth world. It's an absolute paradise of music, art, and pure enjoyment. What they had was friendship. What a disgrace you are. Your mother is rather a miserable woman. What they needed was freedom. Do you like your mother? No. What they shared was a secret. Your daughter's been behaving in a rather disturbed manner. What's she done? I think I'm going crazy. I'm sure it's perfectly innocent. The crime that shocked the nation. People die every day. Only the best people fight against all obstacles in pursuit of happiness. Paul thought it up. Aren't you clever? We're not going to be separated. <laughs> I hate you! She's uncontrollable. Based on a true story. It's all frightfully romantic. 
Heavenly Creatures. And guys, today's film, Heavenly Creatures, is a dramatic adaptation of the events leading up to the infamous 1954 Parker Hume murder case in New Zealand. Yeah. Crime has never been a huge thing in New Zealand. Absolutely not. New Zealand has always been kind of a peaceful country. Well, Well, minus the colonialism and the genocide of the aboriginal New Zealanders. Yeah, but you're right. The Maori people. (laughs) You mean historically the rate of violence. Violence is not as high in New Zealand as it is in other countries. Amongst the white colonial settlers, no, it has not been. <laughs> I mean, New Zealand is one of those countries that performed best throughout the pandemic. Yeah. They had, I believe, the least loss of life, and that's because they protected their goddamn selves the best they could. So at least in the today times, they're operating accordingly. That's why it's a country in the world that has one of the highest rates of immigration from other parts of the world, because people love the idea of living there so much. Yes, mostly for the hobbits. No, that's what I'm saying! Like, (laughs) you can't not credit Peter Jackson with that, okay? He did so much for tourism in New Zealand. This takes place in Christchurch on the South Island of New Zealand in ni- between 1952 and 1954. One of the larger uh, towns in southern New Zealand at that point. I think Auckland is the biggest city in New Zealand, and then Christchurch might be second, and then Wellington, which is the capital, is like third. Oh my god. So yeah, guys, Peter Jackson is most notable for his wildly practical and masterful adaptations of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> Not the Hobbit. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> the way you were actively excluding the Hobbit from that statement. Yeah, he did the Hobbit trilogy. Let's be honest, the Hobbit needed to be one four-hour film. <laughs> Or at least, like, one two-parter, you know, not three movies. Yeah, it's like how Mockingjay could have been one part. Or, you know, Deathly Hallows could have been (laughs) one part. But no, no. We gotta kick the horses at the end. (laughs) Your horse has ridden a thousand miles, and now we have to kick it to death at the end of the line. (laughs) Anyway, Peter Jackson co-wrote this film with his wife and partner, Fran Walsh. And Fran was also an executive producer on all of the Tolkien adaptations. Oh, Fran. I believe uh, her and Pippa Owens also wrote a great part of the film adaptations of The Lord of the Rings. Hey, yeah! He's the fourth highest grossing film director of all time. I should think so! Only behind Spielberg, James Cameron, and the Russo brothers, and that's only because of, you fucking guessed it, (sighs) the MCU. All right. I'll never get. I know you. I'll never be free of it. I know you won't. I'll just be inundated till the end of time. Um, He also uh, directs the really half bad, half good adaptation of King Kong that I love from 2005 with Jack Black. With Jack Black and Adrian Brody and uh, I almost called her Naomi Campbell. No, it's Naomi Watts. It's Naomi Watts. Yeah, (laughs) Naomi Campbell is very different. Um. It's a Miramax. <laughs> There's something about a Miramax film that's special to me. But it's also connected to Weinstein. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> we can't get rid of him. We won't be ever rid of the MCU or Harvey Weinstein, God damn it! The way you clutched your pearls. I did. <laughs> Just now. <laughs> My metaphorical pearls. All right, so, guys, 
This tells the story of teenage friends, Juliet Hulme and Pauline Parker. Yeah. Guys, this is based on a true story. Yeah. In 1954, June 22nd, 1954, to be exact, in Victoria Park, just south of Christchurch in New Zealand, Pauline Parker, Juliet Hume, and Parker's mother, Honora Raper, went out for a, I don't know, just a stroll, tea and a stroll. And while they were strolling through Victoria Park... Parker dropped something on the ground. Her mother leant over to pick it up, and they bludgeoned her to death with a half brick and a sock. Oh, dear. Yeah, and it was all because they were about to be separated internationally, and they did not want to be. Yeah, and this whole movie is about the events leading up to that event. Yeah, it's this obsessive teenage relationship between these two young girls where they actually establish their own fantasy realm that they decide to live in apart from reality. This is too much. It is a little too much, but you also do understand how we got here, right? Yeah. Uh, And a lot of this is taken from Pauline Parker's own diary. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're, you know, writing stuff out of the clear blue sky here. We're relying mostly on her diary. So like we said, this is Peter Jackson, and you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Oh, man. Guys, our two starring heroines here. Uh, Heroines? Well, they kind of are. No! Uh, (laughs) They're protagonists, they're not heroines. Okay, our two starring protagonists here (laughs) are today actresses of wide acclaim and note. Of course they are. And this is their debut feature performance. Which just, to be honest guys, that's mostly why we're doing this. (laughs) Portraying Pauline Parker, we have... Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky. Has she been with us before? Melanie Linsky. Oh, God. She has been with us before because we covered the perks of being a wallflower. Yes. Oh, she's Aunt Helen. She is. She's Aunt Helen. Yeah. Most of us will recognize her from Ever After. Uh Uh-huh. She played the nicer stepsister in Ever After. Oh, that's right. And a lot of us have had her reintroduced into our watching lexicon as Kathleen on the Last of Us. Indeed, that was a great two episodes. The Queen of the Federal Rebellion? Yeah, absolutely. Hell yes. She was in Mrs. America. She was in Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, she was on Two and a Half Men for a stint. Oh, Barb. Yeah, I know, I know. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Don't Look Up. Coyote Ugly. She's speckled. She's absolutely speckled. We love Melanie Linsky. She does such a good job. And then in her debut feature film as well, mm-hmm. as Juliet Hume, otherwise known as crime fiction writer Anne Perry. Oh, we will get back to that. We have, you know her, you love her. Welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming, Kate Winslet. She's been with us no less than three times. I love Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. I'm crazy about her. She, I know you do. She was with us when we did The Holiday. She was with us when we covered Titanic, of course. She was also with us when we covered Contagion. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. She was done. It hurts me so bad. She was done so dirty on that film. <sighs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. She's in Kenneth Branagh's adaptation of Hamlet. She's Ophelia. Oh. Uh, Finding Neverland, Revolutionary Road. Oh, we're going to be doing a lot of Kate Winslet this year, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> the Reader, where she's a Nazi pedophile. No! 
She won the, She won her Oscar for that movie. Oh, no! Yeah, I know, oh, I know. barf! I know. And, of course, she was just in Avatar, The Way of Water. Stop. As one of the blue people. We're not talking about it. So, playing Pauline Parker's mother, Honor, Honor, Honora? It's Honora. Honora Parker. It's spelled Honora, but it's Honora. We have Sarah Pierce. She's also in the Hobbit trilogy. Oh, Lord. I don't care who she is in that. Um, Playing um, Pauline's father, Herbert, we have Simon O'Connor. He's not hyperlinked, so I'm not going into detail. (laughs) Playing Juliet's father, Dr. Henry Hume, we have Clive Marison. Um, He's Welsh. Um, He's most notable for portraying Sherlock Holmes in the BBC radio production of Sherlock Holmes dramatizations from 1989 to 1998. All right. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, even further in The Further Adventures of Sherlock Holmes (laughs) from 2002 to 2010, portraying Hilda Hume, Juliet's mother, is Diana Kent. What casting? Look at Diana Kent and tell me she is not Kate Winslet's mother. (laughs) Their faces are the same. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I get my it. My God, she was in something called One Day. She was in the drama series Belgravia and How to Lose Friends and Alienate People from 2008. <laughs> She's Suave de Bonaire, and then playing John, who's one of the rapey boarders that stay with the Parkers. Ew. Um, we have Jed Brophy. You'll know Jed Brophy from a little film called. The Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Here we go again. Okay, you know when they are having the warg battle while they're on their way to Helm's Deep? Like that pack of wargs invades and Aragorn gets dragged off of the edge of the cliff. Yeah, I remember that. And we think he's dead for a minute. Yeah, the rapey border, John is the orc that Orlando Bloom as Legolas interrogates about what happened to Aragorn. He's dead! That's the same guy! That's so random. I know, it's so completely (laughs) random. I'm just going to kind of leave it there because we absolutely must get to the content. Yeah, uh, I hate it. I hate that we have to talk about this, but it bears talking about. We open up with this wonderful newsreel footage in color. With one of those British guys speaking in that condescending colonizer accent about a certain commonwealth within the Queen's reign. You are listening to the Empire Service from the BBC. Exactly! <laughs> yeah, no. It's basically a tourist ad for Christchurch, New Zealand. Indeed. And it, got, you know what? It's hard to think of this whole civilization existing down under. Yeah. You know? And it looks even better than some places in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> Like, I want to live in a nice Urbana with a clean environment, you know? Where everything's accessible by bicycle. Oh, yeah, no. They they said, fuck a car, fuck big auto. Like, they're bicycling everywhere. Yeah. In spring, summer, and autumn, Christchurch gardens are gay and colorful. Yes, Christchurch, New Zealand's city of the plains. to two teenage girls screaming. Yeah, no, this is unpleasant. Uh, Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky are covered head to toe in blood running through a forest. And they're running up to people at this tea house saying, please, she's had an accident. <laughs> Mommy's terribly hurt. Oh, no. Uh, all, 
spliced together with the black and white footage of them running along a boat deck. Yeah, we'll come back to that later. (laughs) We get some on-screen text. During 1953 and 1954, Pauline Yvonne Parker kept diaries recording her friendship with Juliet Marion Hume. This is their story. All diary entries are in Pauline's own words. Oh, no. Uh, That's when you start to realize all the narration throughout this movie, it's taken from her diary, which just makes it that much more chilling. Yeah. So we land ourselves at Christchurch Girls School. Oh, boy. This is where we're meeting Pauline in the past for the first time. Daily walking close to thee. If I'm happy about one thing in my life, it's that I never went to a religious girls' school. Yeah, no, these... uh, We're meeting Pauline Parker, who her parents call Yvonne. Yeah, that's her middle name. Mm -hmm. Which is funny to me, because your middle name is Ross. Indeed, indeed. That's not your first name. And my first name is actually Yvonne. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But I hate that they call her Yvonne. I know. I hate that her parents call her Yvonne, because that's not what she wants to be called. Yeah, I know. She wants to be called Paul. Or I'm, Pauline. I'm sorry. I'm sensing. I know that you said you don't want to pick on the queerness in this film. I'm saying that we're not queer together, okay? Pauline's a total les. That's uh, all I'm saying. Possibly. I'm just saying. We do meet Pauline, who is kind of a sullen and disagreeable sort of teenager, right? She just kind of reads like she hates her existence. Like, Yeah, no. She really doesn't like her life. She lives with her parents, and her parents rent out various parts of their property to strangers that I'm sure she doesn't always care for having around. No, you're describing a boarding house. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Her mother ran the boarding house and her father worked in a fish shop. They are very working class. She is just a sour puss. Like She really is. She just is, does not enjoy most things. <laughs> when they're all singing together in assembly and she's not singing, she's just staring around waiting for it to be over. <laughs> and then Mrs. Wooler, or whatever her name is, is, gives her the death stare. Yeah. And she has to pretend to sing. On this day in Pauline's life, Juliet Hume is coming to the Christchurch Girls' School for the first time. And we're in French class, right? Oh, God. That's the thing. Juliet is the closest thing to exotic this school has ever seen. Yeah, because she's from England. Yeah, she's from England, love. Because her father, Dr. Hume, he's some sort of professor. He's a physicist. He's a physicist, okay. And he's been given a job with the rector of the university in Christchurch. Yeah, uh, Canterbury College. Yes. And uh, uh, did you know that Dr. Henry Hume would go on to perfect the hydrogen bomb? I did, actually. Yeah. Oh, Uh, gross. When Mrs. Waller comes into their class in the middle of their French lesson and goes, Girls, this is Juliet Hugh. And when Kate Winslet comes around the door, you know immediately there's something wrong. (laughs) Just the look on her face. Juliet is the sort of teen with the chutzpah to correct the teacher. Oh, yeah. Because when the teacher gets back to the lesson and starts conjugating in French, (laughs) (laughs) Juliet stands right up and goes, Excuse me, bitch. You made a mistake. (laughs) You should have written that. I must have copied it incorrectly for my notes. You don't need to apologize, Miss Waller. I found it frightfully difficult myself until I got the hang of it. Thank you, Juliet. 
open your textbook to page 17. When she tells them they're allowed to pick their own French names and she picks Antoinette. Oh, please. Yeah, no, this French teacher has had enough of her. And like, then we go to art class and Juliet and Pauline are paired in art class. Yeah. And like, we're drawing our partners, right? Yeah, we're doing life drawing. Yeah, Pauline is the model and Juliet is the artist. But Juliet is not drawing Pauline. Which is just as well because Pauline is a very sullen and non-cooperative model, right? In, in She's just sitting there. With her arms crossed. Like a super grump. Like. And instead, Juliet has drawn. Uh, I, I am not familiar with this legend. I believe it's St. George slaying the dragon. Yes, yes. Or Sir George and the dragon. Sa- Is it I think Saint, it's Saint or Sir? I think it's St. George yeah. and the dragon. I don't know if you've noticed, Mrs. Collins, but I've actually drawn St. George in the likeness of the world's greatest tenor, Mario Lanza. Yes, I know it's very clever, Juliet, but when I set you a topic, I expect you to follow it. Now put that down and start again. But, like, yeah, we gotta talk about the fact that Juliet is predisposed to fixation. She is head over heels in love with this tenor, Mario Lanza, and she has a lot of hyperfixations in her life, right? And, yeah, I, Pauline is beginning to find those a bit attractive. Yeah, because Pauline and Juliet get closer because they both have to sit out of gym class, right? Mm-hmm. They both have physical ailments that keep them out of gym class. Pauline, for example, has osteomyelitis, which is an infection of the bone marrow. <laughs> when, when Juliet comes up to her and goes, can I see it? <laughs> the scar on her leg. And when she sees the scar, she goes, That's so impressive. Can I touch it? I've got scars. They're on my lungs. I spent months in bed during the war, ravaged by respiratory illness. That is so impressive. Can I touch it? And I'm like, oh, there's something wrong with Juliet. There's something wrong. That's the thing. Juliet is creepy as fuck. Like, if I were any other kid, I would probably also be friends with her. But, like, as an adult, something about her just gives me the willies. No, yeah, Juliet is definitely the Regina to Pauline's Katie. Oh, stop! I'm just saying, like... No, I don't think it's that deep. But Juliet herself has also had a lifelong struggle with tuberculosis. That's right. Yes, absolutely. She spent a lot of her young life in hospitals, in the Southern Hemisphere, away from her parents. Yeah, yeah. She had to be in warm climates in order to recuperate, and her parents were off, you know, jet-setting, flying conferences, wherever around the world. Oh, it's so the secret garden. And, you know, Pauline identifies with her because she also spent a lot of time because of her condition as a child in hospitals and stuff like that. Yeah. After school, Pauline goes over to Juliet's house. Elam. Elam. Is that what it's called? I mean, that's the sign that's out front. Oh, okay. Uh (laughs) And, like, meets Juliet's family. She's got a dad, like we said, who's a physicist at the college, a marriage counselor mother who was subsisting on celery and gin. A shit of a little brother named John. That's what I have. I have a brat little brother named John. Yeah. And, like, the longer Pauline and Juliet are together, you can see them 
feeding off of each other, right? Oh, no, absolutely. They're both obsessing over Mario Lanza. They're both play-acting together. And Pauline is also super into Juliet's parents. Yeah. As well. Because that's the thing. I think there is also a class issue at hand here, right? Mm -hmm. Because Pauline's family is very working class. Dad works in a fish shop. Mom runs a boarding house. Whereas Juliet's family... The dad is like a like a literal scholar and the mother is a marriage counselor and they live in this big house and have a nice family and it's just you can tell she would rather be here. Mm-hmm. And then we get this scene where this is this is one of the many scenes we get of them together just being friendly. They bike out on this path and go out into the woods. And they just start stripping down together? Yeah, no, they're singing Mario Lanza tunes and stripping down. They are also super really into this little narrative they're writing together about a fictional realm called Baravnia. They're making clay models of the characters from this realm that they're writing together. Juliet's whole fantasy world is encompassed by the principle of the fourth world, which is her idea of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. This place where the saints that are worshipped are associated with art and music and there are no Christians. Yeah, Dr. Hume is not a Christian and that has passed on to his children as well. They think Christians are a bunch of, you know, liars and it's all bullshit. So the fourth world is Juliet's idea of heaven and derivative from the fourth world, she has come up with this whole imaginary world called Baravnia, right? The ideology of which is derived from the fourth world. Mm -hmm. It's very confusing. It's a teenage girl's fantasy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Try to keep up with this here. Um, At Christmas time, 1952, Pauline gets the 1953 diary. Oh, boy. And we're going to start to hear monologues, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, we are. You know how I love slash hate a monologue. Indeed. I decided that my New Year's resolution is to be more lenient with others. Pikelets, yum! Aren't you going out? Not until 2.30. This is a private function. Go away! When they have Juliet over for tea, like the the uh, the Parkers, well, they're not the Parkers, are they? Reapers. The Reapers, that's right. Mm-hmm. This is not a piece of information we get until the last on-screen text, but Pauline's parents never married. And so when she was eventually charged for this crime, she was charged under the name Parker, which well, is that's her, her name. That's her mother's maiden name. Yeah, but that's Pauline's legal name. Yeah, no, I understand that. We're saying the same thing. But we are kind of getting the contrast here between the Humes and Pauline's family. Yeah. And Pauline is super fucking embarrassed. I know. It's awful. Juliet's over for tea, and Juliet is catching the entire family up on the lore of Baravnia in the fourth world. Mm-hmm. And so in a blazing fury, Charles runs Lancelot Trelawney through with his sword, leaving Deborah free to accept Charles's proposal of marriage. 
Like this whole drama between this character that she calls Charles and this character she calls Deborah. The rulers of Baravnia. Yeah, the rulers of Baravnia, which Deborah. I know. When you saw it in text, did you realize what I realized? It's Deborah. It's Deborah! Yeah, of course. (laughs) Deborah. Deborah. I love that. And then we get this scene, which is a holiday with Juliet's parents in Port Levy. Yeah, it's Easter. Yeah, it's Easter in Port Levy, and Pauline has gone along with them. And all I'm saying is, Pauline's demeanor when she's with the Humes is night and day. Oh, no, yeah. From when she's with her own family. She comes alive, quite honestly. Oh, it makes me eek. Well, she can truly be who she wants to be with the Humes. You can so tell she'd rather be their daughter. Yeah. Like that scene where they're on the beach and Juliet's mother is combing her hair and they're talking about their fantasy world, right? Mm -hmm. And mom is totally feeding into it. Paul and I have decided that Charles and Deborah are going to have a baby, an heir to the throne of Borovnia. What a splendid idea. We're calling him Diello. Well, that's a good dramatic name. Paul thought it up. Aren't you clever? It's like, I get it. This is an idyllic life. Of course. Compared to what Pauline is used to. But there's another thing we have to talk about. Yeah. Which is that Juliet's parents are planning to leave for a few weeks on a trip to England because her father has been invited to speak at a conference or something. I don't know. And it's not just a few. It's six. Yeah, no, it's a lot of weeks. <laughs> it's a lot of weeks. It's a lot of weeks for a young child of 15 yeah. to be separated from her parents. Not to mention that smaller child. Yeah, no, the little brother. Yeah. And that's the thing, guys. This is going to become so devastating for Juliet because... She's constantly been left by her parents her entire life. Yeah, they dumped her in hospitals previously Mm -hmm. and just ran off to live their lives. And so them just leaving on a six-week adventure is going to rock her shit. The running over the hill. Oh, it's so dramatic. It is dramatic. Pauline is chasing Juliet through this meadow side or whatever in Port Levy. And she's just breaking down, right? Juliet's just at her wit's end. Have you ever been so sad you just start to imagine you're not where you are or who you are? I'm sorry, I'm Google. Do you mean dissociation? Yeah, this is dissociation, what it's about to happen here. Juliet starts going, look, Paul, isn't it all beautiful? And Paul's like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) And then Paul finally gets it and it clicks. (laughs) And this beautiful Garden of Eden-esque type setting forms before them in this <laughs> in this meadow of shrubs, you know? The giant butterflies. I know. The exquisite, well-trimmed Greek gardens. Uh-huh. Like, listen, I get it. I want I want to go to there. I want to go to there as well. Like, I can understand why you would want to escape into this fantasy. But it's becoming I'm sorry. Too real. Yeah, for them. We hear from Pauline's diary entries that 
she and Juliet actually think they've reached some form of enlightenment. Yeah. Where only they can see Baravnia, the fourth world, where only they can tap into this fantasy that between the two of them, they have made up together. And how she thinks it's so sad that other people can't reach the level that they've reached. Yeah, because we're geniuses. Yeah. Geni, we're geni. Absolutely. Oh my good grief! We saw a gateway through the clouds. Everything was full of peace and bliss. We then realized we had the key. We now know we're not genii, as we thought. We have an extra part of our brain which can appreciate the fourth world. Only about 10 people have it. When we die, we will go to the fourth world. But meanwhile, on two days every year, we may use the key and look into that beautiful world which we have been lucky enough to be allowed to know of on this day of finding the key to the way through the clouds. And it's just, guys, it's going to get so much worse from here. When they're faking the birth of Charles and Deborah's child. <laughs> now listen, I... You know, we did role play like this when we were kids. Oh, like, especially when I played with Barbies. Uh, yeah, you know, like we, we did things like this. We would do this with other kids, but like they're ta- they're they're fifteen. <laughs> yeah, they're and they're taking it uh, so seriously. They are. It's it's a little too much for as old as they are, right? And then we have that scene where Juliet is giving. <laughs> they have to do a project. On the royal family. You mean the Windsors. The Windsors. And because in 1953, Queen Elizabeth II and her husband famously toured Australia and New Zealand for the first time. (laughs) Yep. And the Windsors were coming and that's why they were doing this report. Juliet does not do her report on the royal family. No, just just a royal family that she picked, which is, of course, the royal family of Baravnia. <laughs> and Pauline's loving it, eating it up. Everyone else is super confused. <laughs> when that teacher's like, I said you had to do it on the royal family. And Pauline stands up and goes, this is bullshit. You never said it had to be the Windsors. It's not rubbish. Sit down, Pauline. (coughs) I really don't understand why you are so upset, Mrs. Stevens. I merely wrote an essay on the royal family as requested. It doesn't say it has to be the Windsors. Sit down! (coughs) A girl like you should be setting an example. They think they're so much more clever. I know. Than everyone around them. I get it. And it's getting a little manifesto for me. It's like they're planning. (laughs) It's like they're planning some sort of takeover. That's the feeling. (laughs) That's the feeling they're giving me. Like, let's laugh while we can, shall we? Exactly. Speaking of not laughing. Yeah, no, this is about to go south for Juliet. Juliet's tuberculosis flares up. Yeah. Which is very scary. I'm not going to take that away from anybody. Like, the idea that you can just be in class one day, and then you're coughing, and you're coughing blood up over your homework. (laughs) The shot of Pauline on the phone describing what's happened to Juliet. She's so devastated. Mrs. Hume told me they had found out today that Juliet has tuberculosis on one lung. Poor Julieta. I nearly fainted when I heard. I had a terrible job not to cry. I spent a wretched night. 
It would be wonderful if I could get tuberculosis too. Here's the thing though, Juliet's parents are still leaving on their trip. Yeah, no, and leaving her in a hospital. Yeah, she's dumped in a sanatorium, which is where you put people who suffered from chronic illness. All of these strangers who have ailments of their own, and she's just surrounded by them with no one. And this six-week trip has now transformed into a four-month trip. Yeah, no, that's just the Humes being as far as I, well, sorry, pardon my <laughs> mouth. That's just the Humes being shits as far as I'm concerned. Like, no, they dump that poor child in a hospital for months and just leave her all alone. And you can tell that Hilda feels bad about it, but not enough to stay. No, yeah. Like, like, I'm sure you like it here. It's very tranquil. I've spoken to the matron. She promises to take extra special care of you. <laughs> And you can carry on with your studies while you convalesce. It's for the good of your health, darling. Cheer up, I, oh my God. Uh, as far as the Humes go, I have no sympathy from them. No, absolutely. We'll come back to it. And of course, because Juliet is infectious right now, mm -hmm. she and Pauline have to be separated, which is devastating. Devastating is the word of the episode, okay? But they find a way around it, don't they? Oh, yeah, because even though they have to be apart for months, they're still writing letters back and forth to each other. They're writing letters back and forth as Pauline and Juliet, but also... As Charles and Deborah. Oh my god, they're feeding into the fantasy. I know. And then, like, the. Oh, Carrie. <laughs> the clay people. Yeah, no. One of the things Juliet is doing in treatment is playing with clay. Yeah, no, they. Because they, remember, I we mentioned earlier, they're making all these clay models of all their characters that they've created from Baravnia. And we've got Charles and Deborah and their son, Diello. Diello, yeah. Who was a murderous knave and like this other this romani woman named gina mm -hmm. and her love interest nicholas and it's just it's a whole thing but the clay people will come back which is why we're mentioning it now <laughs> when when she when we see her in uh art class and she's just painting all of the soldiers bloody <laughs> And she's actually painting the camera lens red. Oh, I love it. And then, like, there's that scene where Juliet is writing as Deborah mm -hmm. to Paul, and that priest comes in. Oh, no. And she's just staring at the priest like she's trying to kill him with her mind. Yeah. And she does. <laughs> A big old clay version of Diello comes up from behind him and crushes him to death. This is this this is a level of imagination that I could only aspire to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and this is also where Pauline gets to visit, right? Yeah, because the moment Juliet is allowed visitors, you know Pauline grabbed Nora by the arm, twisted it out of its socket, and brought her down to the hospital, right? Yeah, and Honora can see that, you know, while she is at least cared for, she ain't happy, right? No, she's all by herself. Yeah. Goodness me, what a lot of letters. Huh? Are your parents enjoying their trip? Oh, there's a couple of unopened ones. I'm saving them for a rainy day. 
I know it's hard for you being in here, but it is for the good of your health. They sent me off to the Bahamas for the good of my health. They sent me off to the Bay of Bloody Islands for the good of my health. Oh, God, Ross. I know. We gotta talk about John the Border. So John the Border, he's dead. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Sorry. No, John the Border, who is living in Pauline's house, he's a university student, and he is, there's no way around it. He is a creep. Yeah, I can just tell that by looking at him. He's got some issues, maybe some developmental problems. It's possible, but that doesn't excuse what he's about to do. Yeah. Because he develops an unsavory affection. For a 14-year-old. Yeah, for a 14 He's in college! For a 14-year-old, he develops this intense love. And everybody's like, oh, that was super common. All the college boys dating high school girls. And I'm like, just because it was common doesn't mean it was right. Lynching was also super common. And that wasn't right either. Public executions were super common. Yeah, like, guys, Pauline is a 14-year-old kid, and John, the college student, is predating on her. Yeah, I know. They're like we see him like playing games and playing records together and then there's this scene where Paul has gone to visit Juliet at the hospital and she's talking about how obsessed John is with her to uh-huh. Juliet. Yeah. And Juliet is super defensive about it. Oh, she's jealous. John has fallen in love with me. That idiot border. Yes. How do you know? Did he tell you? No, but it's so obvious. Is that why you haven't replied to my last letter? Is that why you didn't answer my last letter? And she's like, no, silly. No, of course not. And like, Paul's like, okay, better put John back in my pocket. Uh." (laughs) But we can't put John back in our pocket because... No, no, he's... Okay, guys, Paul lives in a house that is detached from the main house. Hold on. I feel like that's a very generous descriptor. She lives in a shed in the back garden. Yeah. She lives in a shed in the back garden so they'll have more rooms inside for borders, right? Yeah. And like this is the thing, guys. It's so uncomfy. She's out in that shed all by herself. And then this pervert, this, uh, what do you call them? Hebophile? Oh, people who are interested in adolescent boys and girls? Yeah, like, what is it? That's a hebophile, yeah. Like 12 to 18 or whatever? Like 12 to 16. That's like Lolita shit. Yeah, no, he creeps into her room and (laughs) wakes her up and is like, I couldn't sleep. And she's like, well, thanks for waking me up. (laughs) What do you want me to do about it? Do you think I could happen to be just for a minute? Just to warm up? I feel like ice blocks. Well, you should have worn your slippers. Come on, Yvonne, I'll catch my death. Just for a minute. And he gets in bed with her! He's like, can I get in bed just to warm up? And I'm like, you fucking groomer. Like, I can't. And he starts confessing love for her. Yeah, and <laughs> all she can talk about is the fourth world and Juliet and Ravnia. We're only laughing because it's so absurd, but he does try to touch her. Yeah. And that's not good, but thank God, Dad. I don't know what woke Dad in the middle of the night. I feel like it was a disturbance in the force, right? Yeah. And so whatever woke Pauline's dad in the middle of the night, he comes downstairs and sees that man on top of his 14-year-old and promptly kicks his ass out of the house. Yeah, no, um, 
and both of her parents are extremely mad at her as well, which is just, I'm sorry. Yeah, I have, because this is the 50s, of course, Pauline is going to get the brunt of the fury. When her father says that she's broken his heart. Oh, barf. And I'm sorry, that's also super fucking weird to say to a child. It is. After something like that happens. What are we supposed to gather from that? You're mad that it wasn't you? Ew! Like, that's just super fucking weird. And then her mother is even more angry with her. Oh my god. Because she sees her making all the same mistakes she did, right? (laughs) Yeah, Paul calls her out on it too. She's like, (laughs) hey, I talked to Nanny Parker about you and she said you were wild, loose, and fancy free. You only ran off with dad when you were 17. (laughs) Nana Parker told me about (laughs) it. That's pretty good, Carrie. You had your father in tears last night. My God, what a disgrace you are. Shame me. Shame the family. You're nothing but a cheap little tart. Well, I guess I take after you then. You ran off with Dad when you're only 17. Nana Parker told me. Listen, the smack is indefensible, okay? Oh, yeah, and she hits her. And Pauline's like... Fine! (laughs) Y'all assholes can suck a dick, like... I hate it. And then that's when she begins sneaking out at night to go visit John to have sex with him. I feel like this is just to piss off her mom. I really do. Yeah, I don't think she's into him in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah, it's disgusting. And listen... Yeah, they do have Congress. Yeah, this very horrible scene where he's statutory raping her. Yeah. And um, she, like, literally is probably not even a quarter of the way enjoying it. Yeah. So what do we do when we're not enjoying life? We dissociate. Dissociate, yes. She goes somewhere else in her mind. Isn't this where she actually goes to Barovnia in her mind? Yeah, she actually goes to Barovnia. The imaginary world, right? This huge, like, cerulean blue castle in the middle of a meadow, like... And Ross... The clay people are back. There's a clay Mario Lanza <laughs> doing the entertainment. Yeah, all these clay people are now human sized. Yeah. And walking around the set. I bet this was fun. I bet this was a fun day on set. Oh my god. I bet everyone was hot. Uh, <laughs> inside those clay suits. Yeah. Oh god. And Ross, she, Paul sees Juliet slash Deborah. And we, guys, we've already had so many visual examples thus far of how obsessive and tainted their relationship is becoming. <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> You're crying. Don't be sad, Gina. When she sees Juliet, she just starts sobbing. Paul just starts crying at the very sight of her, and I'm like, she is in love with her. It does seem that way. And I mean, even if it's not romantic love... Like, yeah. even if they were not actually lesbians, I'm not convinced. But, like... I, I feel like it can be... I feel like that it doesn't have to be lesbianism. I feel like it really is just that very magnetic, 
intense first real close friendship you share with someone. The problem is where it gets sticky is that most of us feel that when we're between the ages of like six and nine. Yeah, no. And the concurrent disassociation doesn't help either. Now we're experiencing all of that when we are in our mid-adolescence. Yeah, and they have very hormonal, very developing bodies and brains. Yeah, it's a lot. Finally, Juliet is well enough to come home from the hospital. And once she does, Pauline is like, John who? Which good, bye! Like, I'm so sick of that perverted shit. But the thing is, is that it gets replaced with this montage of Juliet and Pauline reconnecting, spending all their time together. Uh, There's this sequence that they're envisioning in Barovnia where this ring falls off of Diello's hand and goes down onto the drawbridge. And then you see one of the guards see the ring and it's almost like he's going to pick it up and steal it. But then they drop the gate to the drawbridge as soon as he bends over to pick it up. It cuts him in half. It cuts him in half and it rolls to their feet and they pick it up. the foreshadowing oh ross the gemstone that specific pink gemstone will come back to haunt us in the worst way in the worst possible way and pauline is in this voiceover while all of this is happening and that's where we get it's where we get the title oh they said the title of the movie in In the the movie movie. (laughs) it is indeed a miracle one must feel that two such heavenly creatures are real both sets of eyes, though different far, hold many mysteries strange. Impassively, they watch the race of man decay and change. Hatred burning bright in the brown eyes with enemies for fuel. Icy scorn glitters in the grey eyes, contemptuous and cruel. Why are men such fools? They will not realise the wisdom that is hidden behind those strange eyes. And these wonderful people... Are you and I. Uh-oh, Dr. Hume is noticing lesbianism. Okay, yeah, oh, guys, we gotta talk about it. Because- <laughs> Sorry, no, when they're laying in bed together asleep and he's just at the window over them <laughs> and it's thundering and storming outside and then we get the shot of the door opening with him turning around in a rain-soaked fedora. <laughs> Like he's coming to tell them of a murder when really it's just two young teenagers sleeping in the same bed. Yeah. Since Mrs. Hume and I returned home, Juliet's been behaving in a rather disturbed manner. Silliness, short temper, general irritability, most uncharacteristic. Yvonne hasn't been herself either. Locking herself away in a room, endlessly writing, my wife and I feel that the friendship is unhealthy. He's here to tell Urban and Nora about the lesbianism. Yeah, that's the thing, is that the thing that piqued the parents' concern across both the Humes and the Parkers... Homosexuality. ...was the homosexuality, which, listen, already... No one was accepting of homosexuals in this time period. It was a mental disorder. It was considered a mental illness, not only in New Zealand, but 
throughout much of the world, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And not only was it considered a mental illness, in New Zealand, it was also illegal yeah. to be a homosexual. I mean, it was in most parts of the world. Yeah, I know. And so it's kind of, I don't know, it kind of feels like the satanic panic to me. Yeah, like, no, absolutely. Our, your kids are getting into magic and witchcraft. No, your kids are getting into each other. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> your kids are spending too much time together. They must be gay. No, of course not. Yeah, Anora and Herb take Paul to see a psychiatrist. I just, I hate this. I hate this for Pauline. They take her to this psychologist, which helps nothing. Pauline's not keyed into it. She just ends up having a fantasy about Diello murdering the psychiatrist. Yeah, no. I know. (laughs) When he's like, do you like girls? No. Why not? They're silly. But Julia, it's not silly. No. Yvonne, there's nothing wrong with having a close friend. But sometimes things can get too friendly. Do you like girls? And she's like, <laughs> not in the way you're suggesting, you know? They're silly. This, yeah, I know, because she thinks her and Juliet are superior to all other girls. Exactly. You know, like. But that doesn't stop the doc from telling Pauline's mother that he does believe them to be in a lesbian relationship. Yeah. And like, he's kind of, even though he's raising the alarm this much, he's also saying in the same breath, it's okay, it's probably a phase, they'll grow out of it, Mm -hmm. like it's not a big deal. And I'm like, I just, the thing is, guys, is that even after these girls were convicted and were released and given new identities, even in the subsequent years, at least one of them has claimed publicly, no, their relationship was not sexual in any way. And the other one's not talking, so that's all I have to go off yeah, of. Yeah, no, we can't confirm that they were uh, lesbianic. Yeah, I know. And if someone tells me they're not gay, I'm going to believe them, okay? Because that's just the way it ought to be. I do believe it in the movie, though. I know. And it, that's fine. It's a yeah, movie. Peter Jackson really did make us think they were in love. Yeah. At Christmas time, 1953, we get the 1954 diary. Oh, boy. Yeah. This is going to be where the meat and potatoes is recorded, right? Yeah. Oh, I hate it so much. Pauline, after her visit from the psychiatrist, is forbidden from seeing Juliet and starts withdrawing from her family, doing poorly in school, and in general being more disagreeable than she ever was before she met Juliet. She drops out, doesn't she? I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but it makes it look like that in the movie. Yeah. Like, she's doing really, really poorly in school, and Honora comes into her room and has it out with her when Pauline is insisting that she go by Gina now. Yeah, no. Instead of her real name. Which, I mean, I mean, whatever that happens it but... does happen but like it's not that's the thing ross she wanted to be called paul not yvonne right yeah now she wants to be called gina yeah and not paul uh-huh. like it's just going further and further into this imaginary world of theirs because being yvonne was terrible and being paul was even worse but being gina being gina to juliet's deborah is far preferable this arrived today yvonne my name is Gina. It's a letter from the school. From Miss Stewart. What does old Stew want? 
She says the standard of your work is slipping. At this rate, she doesn't think you'll get school certificate. Who cares? I care. And your father cares. We want you to get a good education. I'm educating myself. You're failing English! You used to be the top of the class! I'm doing my own writing! All of Paul and Juliet's scenes in the bath. I know! Like, where they're just plotting to get further and further away from reality, like... Yeah! I think I'm going crazy. <laughs> no, you're not, Gina. It's everyone else who's bonkers. <laughs> Let's go overseas. You mean travel by ourselves? Where shall we go? Not the Bahamas, it's bloody awful. really see a way for them to continue as they want with the continued influence of her mother. Yeah, her mother was the loudest voice about them being separated and being apart. Yeah, because her mother is terrified that homosexuality is a problem. Yeah. You know? Which, I mean, gross on you, Inora, but... She didn't know any better. I, of course they didn't, but Ross, they did. You know what I'm saying? Mm, they didn't know any better. I'm just I'm just saying they knew better, but they weren't equipped. Here in the bath is when they start talking about running away together for the first time. Yeah. To actually escape their shitty realities. <laughs> or what they think are their shitty realities. Yeah, that's the thing. They're kids. Like, the way this all just collapses in on itself, you know, without them being able to see that... Without each other, any parts of their future are unsalvageable. Yeah. You know? That's like, not good. Yeah. It's it, codependent. And and these parents have no idea how to help. Mm -mm. And it's just like a burning train <laughs> derailing and they can't stop it. And we are powerless to just watch it fly <laughs> down the tracks. Yeah. Dr. Hume is also mad at Hilda. Oh, here we go. Because Hilda, he's like, your daughter is a lesbian. Aren't you mad? And Hilda's like, leave them the fuck alone. And listen, I can see why these girls want to get away from their respective situations so bad. Because not only does Pauline hate her life and her working class family. Yeah, but Juliet is not super into her parents either. No, Juliet is wanting to run away because her mom is acting the fuck up. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Remember how Juliet's mom is a marriage counselor? Yes. We didn't really talk about this earlier, but the reason that Juliet's mom is considered a successful, I'm using quotation marks, marriage counselor is because she sleeps with the husband's. Yeah, she's fucking everybody that comes into the office. And uh, she's fixated on a recent client. I don't even remember what his stupid name is. I just called him the mustache. Do you remember when John was talking to Paul about all of the little clay figures she was making? Yeah. And she introduced um, Deborah's tennis instructor. Yes. The little clay figure. Yes. Which is actually a Juliet creation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, the tennis instructor that Hilda is bawling. Yeah, no. And the thing is, is that Hilda moves this tennis instructor into their home under the guise of him recovering from some illness mm -hmm. when she's really just moving him in there so they can ball on the down low. And Juliet catches her mother and her lover in bed one night. Yeah. And she's like, listen, 
you are going to let me have what I want or I'm going to tell daddy about you. And Hilda's like, <laughs> well, your dad actually already knows what I'm doing. And I'm like, what? It's going to cost you a hundred pounds as I'm blabbing to daddy. Mr. Perry and I are in love, Juliet. Hilda. Your father knows about us. Until other arrangements can be made, we've decided to live together as a threesome. I don't care what you do. Paul and I are going to Hollywood. They're desperately keen to sign us up. We're going to be film stars. What are you talking about? It's all arranged. And I mean, like, I get it. Divorce was a hard thing back then for people. It's a hard thing at any time yeah. in the timeline. But back then, it was a super horrendous thing that no one... Because it, it was an admission of defeat on a god level, you know? like Yeah, I get it. And also, things are not going well for Dr. Hume either professionally. He oh, no. Gets, he gets fired from Canterbury College for what? I'm not sure. No, we cut to a board of men who need to trim their nose hair telling him that his position has been made redundant, right? Yeah. He's being terminated, and he's got till the end of the year to find a new job. So the pressure on the Humes family just keeps turning up. And at Pauline's, things are becoming much more contentious because she and Honora are not getting along. Honora's not letting her see Juliet, and Pauline is literally hoping... That her parents will die. Yeah, no. When she's when she's fantasizing about Honora choking at the table. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. Why could not mother die? Dozens of people are dying all the time. Thousands. So why not mother? And how no one was. Yeah, and then her dad chokes to death too. Like, and oh no, he gets stabbed. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't. I can't. I know. Like, listen, we did not have perfect childhoods, but never, not once, did I envision anything like this. Yeah, nothing ever felt so helpless. Like this, and listen, I'm not saying that she should feel that helpless either, but there's something about this friendship with this other person that has her so demented and so devoid of reality that that is where she is going. Yeah. And it's really difficult to relate to, but when you watch the movie, the machinations of the emotions do almost make sense, even if we can't relate to them. Yeah, and you guys guessed it, but it's only going to get worse. We're at the final... uh... Final plummet here because the Humes have made arrangements to leave New Zealand. Yeah, dad's losing his job. They are going to get divorced, right? Yeah. And they explain, like, the dad sits both Pauline and Juliet down to explain. Your mother and I have talked things over and we've made some decisions. I'm resigning from the university. And I'll be taking up a position back in England. But, Daddy, you can't just leave me here with Mother. I thought it best if you accompany your father. Is Gina coming too? Of course not. I'm not going to England without Gina. 
You're not going to England, darling. I'm leaving you in South Africa with Auntie Ina. Pauline and Juliet are there for each other in that moment. And the thing is, is that at this point in the story, Pauline is no longer referring to Juliet as Juliet. She is only calling Juliet Deborah. Yeah. And by the same token, Juliet is only calling Pauline Gina. Yeah. Like, they are full into this fantasy at this point. That's how far we've dissociated from real life. Pauline is even referring to Dr. Hume as her own father. Yeah. And to make matters worse, the Humes tell Juliet that instead of going off with either one or other of her parents, she's going to be sent to South Africa. South Africa, yes. South Africa. Another part of the uh, British Empire. She's being sent to South Africa to live with her aunt. Yeah. Oh, no. And of course, you know, this is going to be the end of the world for Pauline and Juliet. Kate Winslet's screaming at the news, like... Oh, no. And, like, Pauline is literally wearing black over this and insisting to Honora, her mother, that she's going with Juliet. I don't care what you say, Mom. I'm going to be with my best friend. They want me to live with her, like, you Which know... Which they don't. That is something she's told herself. Yeah. And, of course, Honora says, nay, nay. Absolutely not. And the thing that kind of tears me up inside, not because I feel bad for them, but because I just hear the pain in their voices when Pauline and Juliet are on the phone together. Oh, yeah. And Pauline is telling Juliet that she can't get a passport under the age of, you know, 17 or 18 without her parents' permission. Oh, don't cry, Gina. Gina, please don't cry. We're not going to be separated. We're not. They can't make us. They can't. They can't. They're not. Juliet's like, we will not be separated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're not my supervisor. (laughs) Oh, no. That's how you did that just now. I know. I know. And Honora is trying to get to Paul. Like, hey, Like, I know this sucks, but life will go on. I promise everything will be okay. (laughs) Yvonne. Don't be like this, love. I did not tell Deborah of my plans for removing Mother. I have made no decision yet as the last fate I wish to meet as one on a borstal. I am trying to think of some way. But Paul has absolutely nothing left for her mother. She stops speaking to her mother for two weeks. Like, she hates her. She does. She sees her as the reason. That she is so miserable. And will be parted from Juliet. Like... It's so awful. And I just, I can't even begin... To describe what that must be like for her mother. And so things are not going well for either child, so the parents get together. Yeah, Juliet must not be a picnic either because Ms. Hulme is here to express her concern, right? Yeah, and so they've got about three more weeks left around, you know? And so what Hilda suggests to Pauline's parents is that 
they take these next three weeks. The girls spend these next three weeks together mm-hmm. as a final, you know, whatever, hurrah for them to be together. And then they will wash their hands of one another and that will be that. Mm-hmm. That is not how this will go. Of course not. Because we've reached summer. Yeah. <laughs> 1954. It's June 1954. Mm-hmm. And Pauline arrives for her stay at the Humes. And we're right back in fantasy land, right? Okay, the red lighting with them dancing around with an actual Mario Lanza in the living room. No, that's the thing, bud. Every time in this movie, every single time they go into their fantasy world, the more and more real it gets. Yeah. Did you notice that? I do, yeah. Because in the previous scene we talked about, most of the people were clay people. But in this version, we have a real-life Mario Lanza, and we have other real people dancing around them. The fantasy just becomes more real the longer they're around each other. And then, like, earlier we they had mentioned that Juliet has this irrational fear of Orson Welles. Oh, God. And I don't know what that's about, but, hey, I've had irrational fears of people before. Yeah. We've talked about it. Um, <laughs> no. Alice from the Brady Bunch. Um, this whole scene where they're experiencing this joint delusion where they think... Here's the thing. They're they, being stalked by Orson Welles. Yeah. They've gone to see the third man at the theater yeah. which is an Orson Welles film and the whole way home they have this shared delusion where they think they're running away from Orson Welles it's so out of pocket I don't know where to begin and then uh, not the clay people orgy yeah the sim the the simulated sex scene I I <laughs> who is Paul pretending to be Paul is pretending to be a man. Paul describes it as they are, in their play-acting way, simulating intimacy between Charles and Deborah. Yeah, but then all of the clay people are also doing it next to them. Yeah, it's weird. That must have been a really weird day on set. And I think that... (laughs) (laughs) All the horny clay people. And then we're doing actual sex with each other. That's the thing. I think that Peter Jackson is dramatizing a little bit here. I mean, all I know is Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky making out. Stop! They're children! They were 20 years old when they made this movie. But you know what I mean! I mean, that's fine. And it's not sex. It's just heavy petting. But, like, I think that Peter Jackson is dramatizing. Both. Dramatizing and traumatizing, yeah. I think he's dramatizing here because I don't think this actually happened. Like we said... At least one of them has come forth within the last 20 years and said, no, this did not happen. Yeah, no. And uh, it was Ann Perry. Yeah, that's uh, Juliet Hume, the actual Juliet Hume. Yeah, that's literally all I have to go off of. But if that's what she says, I believe her. OK, so after three weeks of fantasy disassociation and simulated clay sex, um, <laughs> we are coming to the end of this three week period, this last hurrah. Mm-hmm. And you, you might have guessed it, but we're in the bath. 
Aww. And like none of the lights are on. It's weird. Why are they in there in the dark? They're just in there in the dark in this tub full of tepid water. Aww. And Juliet is like beginning to sob because she knows it's almost over. Mm-hmm. And brain blast. Oh no! How dare you <laughs> make pa- that joke? Pauline pipes up and goes, I know what to do about mother. We don't want to go to too much trouble. Some sort of accident. People die every day. They are about to begin plotting the murder of Pauline's mother and make it look like an accident. Because in their minds, they think if they get Honora out of the way, they will somehow magically be allowed to be together. And this, I think, is the point at which you absolutely realize that their disassociation has taken them beyond logic and reason entirely. Because you know what your first question and my first question is about this line of logic, right? How did they think this would work out? Like, exactly. What about her father? Yeah, like, her father's still in the picture. Like, he would also have a say in what happens to his daughter, right? Yeah. And, like, but no, it's because Honora was the loudest voice about them not being together that make them think she is the one standing in the way of their love, whatever that means. The shot of them standing in the meadow in their Easter dresses together, staring at the camera as it pans out. I'm like, oh no, oh no. It's like the Axis powers getting together. It's like, oh Oh. no, you know, like. This is also a really creepy sequence where they burn everything. Yeah. All the clay models, all of their Mario Lanza records. They're burning a bridge to a past life. Yeah. It's sick. And that's what I thought of here. Yeah. I was like, wow, they're destroying all of it so they can move on to something new. They're really serious about this. Yeah. And guys, these lines are taken directly from Pauline's diary. Peculiarly enough, I have no qualms of conscience. Deborah rang and we decided to use a rock in a stocking rather than a sandbag. We discussed the moida fully. I feel very keyed up, as though I were planning a surprise party. Mother has fallen in with everything beautifully, and the happy event is to take place tomorrow afternoon. Pauline is referring to the murder as a happy event. Yeah, um, and she... the, the, the amount that she's been able to dissociate from real life in that she has absolutely no feelings for her mother or what will happen to her is just a point that is unimaginable for yeah. so many people. Especially given their history. Like, listen, we have seen stories about people who have murdered their own parents who have come to that point because of radical and unmitigated abuse yeah. and neglect. Mm-hmm. That is not what's happened here. It's not what's happened here. That the, Other than her mother being a little homophobic, like th- that's it. Yeah, and they're not even they're not even homos. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, that, it's not that th- that's it's not the vibe. Yeah. And like it just and, and the fact that Pauline is immature enough to record all of this in her own diary. 
Yeah. It's going to be their downfall. Like, the way they thought they could just do this with evidence all the way following them to it. Yeah. And be fine. Mm -hmm. Because what's their plan, right? It's to run away to, to Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to run away together to Hollywood once once her mother's been murdered and once they've murdered her mother and they think they're just going to be able to go. Uh, like they're not going to have to deal with the aftermath of the murder. That's how desperate they are mm-hmm. and like the singing. Oh, stop. The Kate Winslet singing on the balcony. Next time I write in this diary, mother will be dead. How odd. Yet how pleasing. That is her singing, by the way. While her, yeah, while Paul is psyching herself up to commit this atrocity, like Paul, like does everything, does like every chore in the house, trying to keep her mother really pleased. Mm -hmm. You know, does all the laundry, all the cooking, all the cleaning. Like this is June twenty second, nineteen fifty four. This is the day. Right. The, the inner splice shots of them on the boat deck, like they're happily departing to go somewhere new. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's all a fantasy. We see Juliet go out to the shed by her house, break a brick in half, and put it in her bag. Aww. And then her father takes her to the Parkers for tea. And like you see Pauline and Juliet in Pauline's room and they're like trying to psych themselves up for this. Yeah. And this is when Juliet opens her mouth and says something totally absurd. Mm. Your mother is rather a miserable woman. Isn't she? I thought for hours about whether Carmelita should accept Bernard's marriage proposal. I think she knows what's going to happen. She doesn't appear to bear us any grudge. Yeah, I know. It's so delusional because you can tell that Juliet feels nervous about what they're about to do. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, listen, I know I'm the one that started this whole let's <laughs> run away thing. But like, but like you've really taken it to another level and here. I, I don't believe that Juliet doesn't want it as much as Paul does. Oh, no, they're in this together. I feel like Paul does want it a little more since... Her parent is the one she's willing to eliminate. Oh. Like it, the way Can you imagine that. No, I can't. I can't imagine getting to this mental space where I feel the need to eliminate someone I love so that I can be happy. Oh. Like it's just the way that Paul has, is so dissociated that she cannot understand that her mother does want the best for her, mm-hmm. and that all of her harping and nagging is just regular mom stuff, and it's not a complete um, annihilation of who Paul wants to be as a person. Yeah, and like Juliet's like, "I'm sweaty. Are you sweaty?" And like, <laughs> Paul is not nervous. No, Paul is resolved. Yeah, Paul. Paul knows this is happening today and i hate the scene where they're getting ready to go because her father has to go to work in the afternoon and like 
Urban and Nora give each other a smooch, and he tells them to enjoy their outing, and that's the last time they see each other. Isn't that awful? Yeah. That's so... No, Ross, listen, I'm going to get really upset before this is over. It's very upsetting. Because, like, listen, we've been hee-hawing and gig-giggling throughout this whole recording, and it's because we know what's coming. We know how friggin' awful this is about to get. They take a bus to Victoria Park, and, like, they're ready to immediately go on the trail so they can commit this murder. But then Honora's like, no, I'm a bit peckish. Let's have tea first. They go to this cute little tea house, and, like, obviously they're having tea, and Honora, it's just like any other day for Honora. She's having her tea, and, like, there's one scone or a scone. Scone. There's a scone. There's one scone, if you're American, left on the dish. You have it. Oh, no, I'm I'm watching my figure. (laughs) But you're not fat, Mrs. Reaper. Oh, well, I put on a lot of weight over Christmas. (laughs) Go on, Mum. Treat yourself. Right. <laughs> um. Oh no, that hit me because that because that demonstrates care. Yeah. That demonstrates she cares about her feelings right now because she's going to murder her in twenty minutes. This is like taking a dog on that last drive before you take him to the vet yeah. to be put down. It's disgusting. Like it. Oh, and I hate it. She, she's just like. Okay, whatever. And then she has the scone, and I'm like, oh, Nora. That jewel is real. The jewel? Where did it come from? Oh, sorry. It came from the Hume's house, right? You're referring to the gemstone from the... From the sequence. Yeah, the fantasy earlier. Yeah, but it's real. Yeah. It must have come from the Hume's house Yeah. in one way or another. But regardless, this pink gemstone that appeared in the fantasy... Juliet has it in her pocket, and after tea is over, the girls take Honora across the way to the park and onto this trail, this actually very steep trail, you know, that goes down into this wooded area, and that's kind of what is messed up about this for me, is that it would have been so easy to trip her. Yeah. To make her fall down. Yeah. And hit her head and then walk away. Which or, I, I, or go and tell the people the story they did tell. Yeah. Which was that she fell down. Which is not true. But the fact that they went this extra mile to be brutal in ending this poor woman... They were full of pain. They apparently They were full of pain and they wanted to take it out on her. And they get about a hundred meters down off the trail, and <sighs> I'm sorry. I'll get through this. Hold on. <sighs> Pauline gives this visual signal to Juliet. And Juliet picks that gem up out of her pocket and drops it on the ground. And as they are going back up the trail to catch the bus to go home, Pauline points the gem out to her mother. Look, mother. And then Honora leans down to pick up the gem, and Pauline picks up the brick in the stocking and starts 
beating her with it. swings, she gives it to Juliet to have a turn. Guys, they show us this murder. Yeah, they do. It's not at all pleasant. That's the thing, is that up until this point, Peter Jackson has done a lot of sympathetic storytelling with regards to Juliet and Pauline. I feel like this is the way of balancing the scales. Because seeing the brutality of this murder just completely negates anything they might have been feeling up until that point, right? Yeah, no. While they are bludgeoning her to death with this thing, with this brick in this stocking, it is interspliced with these great shots of Juliet standing on the boat in the black and white sequence, and it's sailing away, but... Paul hasn't gotten on the ship with her. She's leaving her on the dock. Yeah, and she's being left by herself on the dock. Like, even all the people are sliding away from Pauline. Yeah. And they're both just sobbing and screaming, reaching out for one another. And it keeps cutting back to them just taking more wax at Honora. And this is to demonstrate to you that... By what they are doing, they can never truly be together as friends. Ross, I was getting really, really upset there at the end. I I was getting really, really upset because I just can't even imagine getting to that place. Like I can, no, not even just with them. I can, not only can I not imagine getting to that place where they felt like they needed to murder this woman, but what it was like for Honora, who knew something was wrong with her daughter, but probably never thought that it would ever come to something like this. Yeah, no, that's the worst part about it, is knowing that your daughter is killing you. And you have no idea why. The last shot is Melanie Linsky covered in blood screaming. Yeah. And then we get some more on-screen text. Read it out for me. In the hours following Honora's murder, a police search of the Reaper house unearthed Pauline's diaries. This resulted in her immediate arrest for the murder of her mother. Juliet was arrested and charged with the murder the following day. After Pauline's arrest, it was discovered that Honora and Herbert Reaper had never married. Pauline was therefore charged under her mother's maiden name of Parker. In August of 1954, a plea of insanity was rejected by the jury in the Christchurch Supreme Court trial, and Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume were found guilty of murder. Too young for the death penalty, they were sent to separate prisons to be, quote, detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. Juliet was released in November of 1959 and immediately left New Zealand to join her mother overseas. Pauline was released two weeks later, but remained in New Zealand on parole until 1965. It was a condition of their release that they never meet again. That's not true. That last bit about them never meeting again... 
as a condition of their release. That's not true. I that, mean, they still never did. No, they did not meet again for the rest of their lives. But what I'm I mean, saying is... they're both still alive. They are both still alive. They're both 84 years old. Okay, we have And to, they both live in the UK. We, we have to talk about this because after they were released at the age of 18, they were both given new identities. Pauline was given the name Hillary, Hillary Nathan, mm-hmm. and uh, Juliet was given the name Anne Perry. And uh, Hillary Nathan, a.k.a. Pauline, went on to be a librarian and just kind of lived a quiet, non-assuming life from there on out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas Anne Perry, a.k.a. Juliet, went on to be a crime novelist. Very successful one. She wrote 50 books. <sighs> and like, this that's the thing for me, is like, it was so crazy for this whole community of Christchurch, right? Yeah. In the 1950s. This was such an unspeakable crime. Yeah, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It, it, it didn't happen back then like that. Absolutely not. Like, matricide at the hands of daughters is already incredibly rare. Yeah. And even when it happens, it's usually mature, older daughters who are murdering their mothers, usually for financial gain. It has nothing to do with emotion. And to have two teenage girls under the age of 16 murder this woman, one of whom's mother, in cold blood, for no other reason other than they thought it would keep them together. Yeah. It haunted this community. One of the homicide detectives eventually took his own life over it because he had a daughter who was the same age and could not reconcile those feelings. Damn. Pauline Parker has apparently expressed extreme remorse for for what she for what she did in 1954. Yeah. The fact that they both only spent five years in prison is super, super fucking lucky. It is lucky. And I I get that they were minors and that's why that happened. But barely. Yeah, I I have no idea, man. But Pauline stayed away from the public eye. Obviously, she had a new identity, never once spoke about it until this movie came out. Yeah. It wasn't until 1996 anyone heard from Pauline Parker... Since the trial, mm-hmm. you know, that's 40 some odd years, that's 42 years. And Perry, throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, she was publishing, like you said, over 50 different books. Like crime novels, crime novels, making, Yeah, making money and like, I. That's the only so thing, gross. The, one of the only things Ann Perry's ever said about the whole thing was that they weren't lesbians. Fine. Fine. She's like, okay, yeah, I'm a murderer, but not a lesbian. And I'm like, okay. Uh, It's not the flex you think it is. Mm. Yeah, guys, this film examines just like uh, some of the worst of the worst when it comes to female companionship. Yeah. And like, listen, again, that's why I wanted to do it for this, for this month, because we can't do it for Pride Month. That's not what this is, right? Yeah, no. Now, I can't empathize. That in a world designed by men, that it is important for women to stick together. However, not this together. Yeah, no, not this together. I mean, especially at the expense of another woman's life. Who meant them no harm? Yeah, no, she just didn't want them to be gay. 
uh, okay. Which was a... Uh... Yeah, no, I know. I get it. And listen, we will never really know what her exact reasoning was. Maybe she was homophobic. Maybe she was also just scared for her daughter's life. Because, again, being gay was a crime. Yeah, no, exactly. And so it's difficult to know... She, I mean, listen, she did not deserve to die. Yeah, R.I.P. Honora. Like, God. Uh, she did little to nothing wrong. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was the wrong she did because of society, and then there was her trying to parent her child. Like, <sighs> it's so tough. Yeah, and like, it is really fucked up to think about how she had to die knowing that it was her own daughter that did it to her. Oh, man. All right. Okay. Before we get out of here. I'm going to post a couple of relevant articles in the related media. Go check them out. I mean, well, let's talk a little bit about did you have any obsessive relationships like this in girlhood? Um, well, not like this, but at least no. comparable. Like, I mean, that very first best friend you have is usually the most special mm-hmm. in your young life. I did have a young friend who I we we did a lot of things we did everything together we were in Girl Scouts together we played on the playground together we did all the same play acting and nonsense that they did Mm -hmm. but we were not so into each other that we were detached from reality yeah but yeah guys uh, this we had to get the bad one out of the way yeah (laughs) there will be better female relationships we examine as we go through this month's selection I promise the rest of this month is not gonna be that tough I double pinky promise. Guys, next week for our second selection of the month, we will be covering the 1996, I believe. 1996 film that neither of us have seen. Neither of us. But This will be a first go for both of us. But it has been recommended on a number of occasions, The First Wives Club. It's got a lot of fun names in it. <laughs> I'm excited. Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, Maggie Smith. It's going to be great. I'd say Stockard. Stockard Channing. Thank you. My God. Okay. <laughs> In the meantime, guys, please go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. It's with an and, not an ampersand. Right. <laughs> just record it. Can't you just like can't we just record it and you have like a place where you get it? Like it, it sounds more organic this way. <laughs> you can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join this little watch yeah, party. Yeah, see how you like it. Yeah. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming. Until then, I'm Kiri. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mum. <laughs>